This is a Rooster Teeth production. All right, Charles, we've had the Justice League done. We've had it done several times in live action, in cartoon form, and in the comics in multiple ways. But given the reins and the power and the funding and all the, the gubbins, uh, who is Charles Pulliam Moore's five-member Justice League feature film featuring? Oh, uh, I'm not a DC person um, all that much. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tell myself a little bit, but I don't want to go with you know the the big names. So sure, let's get uh, let's get Zatanna in there. You know, I knew that was coming. You need a strong magic base, though. Uh-huh. Um, let's put hmm, let's put Hawkwoman on there. Love like, it. Like the the the, the are fun. Yeah. Um, give me Superboy, the clone one, right? The one with the telekinesis and not actual super strength. I love this so much. Right, that one. Give me Starfire also. I want yeah. like two aliens on there. And then like as like a fifth member, give me put Lobo on there. Lobo? <laughs> yeah. Put a murder psychopath at the end of that team. I love it. Yeah. 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 All right. This is coming to theaters uh, 2022. Uh, All right. Uh, looking forward to it. Let's talk uh, about Justice League. <laughs> Welcome to The Real Canon, a new pod about the genre pop culture we all live, breathe, and help make happen in real time. I'm Charles Pulliam Moore, writer for io9, and a person who still occasionally reads The Daily Planet. And I'm John Reisinger, content creator and producer for Roosty Productions, and one of the only people I know who still re-watches Man of Steel. <laughs> Today, we're talking about the Justice League. Yeah, specifically, we're talking about 2017's Justice League as part of a larger conversation about the film formerly known as The Snyder Cut that's just dropped on HBO Max. We'll definitely be talking about the new movie soon, but we wanted to A, give ourselves time to actually watch it, and B, use this moment to look back at how this all started. It's something to look back at the original film now, and we've definitely got a lot of thoughts, but first we're rolling into cannon fodder, our quick breakdown of some of this week's most interesting entertainment news stories. Okay, so uh, we got a couple of things to talk about for a cannon fodder before we get into Justice League. Uh, the internet is uh, a, a gag, a gog, <laughs> a gug about Space Jam and the changes that are happening to Space Jam in this new LeBron film. LeBron James's Space Jam. Yeah, I, the the, ex- the exact name escapes me. I feel like it's something long and Space ridiculous. Space Jam. That isn't, it's a, Space Jam. The new Jammier than ever. Space Jam. <laughs> What is it called? Let's, Space Jam 2. It's not called Space Jam 2. It's not called Space Jam 2. We can new definitely... Legacy. Space Jam. A new legacy. Space, right, seriously? Yep, that's not the joke. All oh, right, that's not the joke. But I mean, everyone is, <laughs> everyone is sort of riled up about this because uh, we finally got in our first images of what this new film was going to look like. And so, you know, we've seen LeBron James with the Looney Tunes. Don Cheadle is actually there. And there's this big profile out in Entertainment Weekly sort of getting into what the film is about and how, you know, in this film... Um, LeBron is going to get sucked into the computer world somehow, and, you know, he's going to interact yes. with the Looney Tunes there. That, in and of itself, was interesting, but what got everybody sort of riled up was this... I mean, everybody was... Rather, let me be very specific about this. The people who have been very horny for Lola Bunny for a very long time <laughs> told on themselves. Uh, they came out of the woodwork and were like, oh, no, you changed her. Um, because people were uh, rather upset about this comparison image that was going around between what was thought to be 
the original Lola Bunny and the new Lola Bunny, who is now wearing, I think she's wearing compression shorts and like she's wearing, shooting she's wearing the same uniform as the rest of the team and right. compression shorts. Like she came to like, she came to actually like win a game. Anyway, yeah. um, a couple days later, after all of this hullabaloo about people being like, oh, see how sexy characters used to be, and now the SGWs are changing <laughs> things. Um, everyone's like, someone had the common sense to run a reverse image search and is like, bro, that's just furry porn. You're Correct. you're 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 literally complaining about how the actual brand. Uh, is not sexualized the way someone's fan art was and sorry but expecting that was a little bit ridiculous um and it's all become part of like this weird sort of like <laughs> this weird like hostile nostalgia for a lola bunny that never was it it's it it all sparks up a weird conversation no matter what angle you're looking at it to be very clear um and it, you know politics aside which is a terrible thing to have to say on this show where we're talking about cartoons and superheroes um all they did was go okay the none of the boy characters are sexualized in any way or even given like uh anatomically you know uh extreme uh builds they're all just flat you themselves. know characters they're cartoons but then the girl bunny, like, they gave her, like, noticeable curves. Even the way she was animated was, like, very uh, sensual. Um, like it, was very much like, like it was very much, like, in the line of, like, Jessica Rabbit from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Like, not yeah. obviously playing up to, like, uh, sexuality that much. But Lola no. has always been very heavily coded feminine. And, like, yeah. I joke, but she ties her ears up into a ponytail. That makes no sense, right? She's cutting off all the blood circulation and she's like, oh, don't I look cute? And it's like, girl, can you hear? Can you hear when they're like letting you know what's going on? Oh, but okay, but, okay, but, fashion. But also like to make the comparison, Roger Rabbit is meant for a more mature audience. It was right. a more mature film. It has more mature themes. Um, and, and Space Jam is very much meant for little kids. It was a little kid movie. Um, and so they just, they just like, they just, you know, leveled the playing field because they might've realized it might've been, you know, slightly misogynistic to have done that. You know, I'm, I'm throwing in might to be nice. Okay. I'm the might doesn't have to be in any of that sentence I just said. Yeah. And this kind of feeds into, you know, the second wave of discourse around the film, um, that came when people realized that Pepe Le Pew had been not necessarily removed from the film, but the scenes that were shot with LeBron that involved Pepe Le Pew, um, they were never animated. And then Warner Brothers made the decision not to animate them, effectively removing the character from the film um, for the pretty obvious reason that, like, looking at a character like Pepe Le Pew, whose whole shtick is, like, trying to hit on a cat who Pepe Le Pew does not understand, is not a skunk, and the cat's just like, please stop, leave me alone. Yeah. Just like that. But, you know, the the whole sh his whole shtick doesn't really read as funny. Like, it is sexual harassment. And, yeah. it, you know, that drew... Uh, a round of criticism from people who thought that this was, you know, people trying to be quote unquote woke and trying to, uh, you know, why didn't you have issues with this before? The thing is, people have like people have talked about it. It's like, oh, you ever you ever you ever notice how Pepe Le Pew's like every asshole ever who puts on too much cologne and tries to push up on you at the bar and doesn't take no for an answer? I think that's that is a that is. I feel like that's a an elementary school joke that people like pass around and that's one of those first things you're like, oh man, like I'm seeing things for the first time. And it just seems that the studio has finally caught on. Yeah. It uh, let me let me just sit everybody down for a little a little <laughs> lesson time with Daddy Reisinger really quick, because I just want to teach you all. It's okay that we made mistakes in our past. It's okay if you made mistakes. Like you're allowed to have like messed up and done bad bad stuff. 
uh, like, you know, the mistakes, we're just calling mistakes. And mm. then you realize you made the mistakes, admit them and fix. And so that's what like Pepe Le Pew is just that Pepe Le Pew was like a mistake of like a character that we realize now in 2021 vision was mm. problematic and, and abusive and, and, and not, you know, He's definitely the antithesis of the no means no kind of right. movement. And it's like Pepe Le Pew, like a lot of these characters, they are embodiments of what was culturally acceptable at the time. That's what happens when you deal. We've talked about this before. This is what happens when you try to bring legacy characters into modern stories and you really stick super close to the source material. Um, the Looney Tunes have done messed up stuff. Um, this is the same reason that, you know, Disney came out and was like, listen, we're putting them up as out there, but understand like... We understand that this is that some of this humor has not aged well. Um, right. Something that I thought was kind of wild where uh, people speculating like, oh, look, they're going to come for Miss Piggy next because she beat Kermit up. And it's like, you know what? It's true. Miss Piggy has beat Kermit up. But I yeah. think that one of the reasons that Piggy and Kermit's legitimately like abusive relationship is treated like a running joke that everyone can kind of not appreciate but sort of like tolerate is because within the muppet stories there is almost always an acknowledgement of what it is that they are doing to one another and they negotiate power between the two of them in a way that you when you like like saying like spelling it out sounds weird because like it's the muppets but when you like look at the relationship it's like oh like it's almost did you ever watch um What's a Big Little Lies or Sharp Objects? No, Big Little Lies. Um, the one where I watched neither. It's Nicole Kidman and um, the guy from True Blood, and they have like a really messed up, abusive relationship. And it's mm-hmm. I'm not saying that that's exactly what Kermit and Piggy had going on, but there's some of that same energy there. And the Muppets franchise as a whole has been able to really sort of keep that in focus enough so that their depictions don't just come off as like, you know, Kermit showing up to work with a black eye and Piggy being like, don't say anything. Yeah. Um, which is not to say that that's the only form that abuse can take. But I do think that being like, they're going to come for piggy necks is definitely like alarmist to an extent. But, 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 nah. but all that to say is like, even with the conversation about, you know, Kermit and piggy, like, I, I think that's, that's fine to, to have the conversation, like be, be okay with having these conversations of like continuing to, you know, reflect upon these past, you know, parts of the, of the, you know, the, the canon. Right. Yeah. And, and, being okay with admitting that stuff might not, you know, age well, and then we need to change from it. That's that's okay. It's right. okay. I would be you know? super fine if Kermit's like, yo, don't hit me no more. If you hit yeah. me anymore, I'll fire you. Like, I'll fire you, fire you. <laughs> Denise the pig, Annie Sue, they'll both be back. And, like, they will be the pigs in space. And, like, shit. Yeah. It'd be good. It'd be good. Uh, I guess we can keep this conversation going about uh, characters from the past being brought into the present. Um, yeah. Powerpuff Girls had some news with their <laughs> cast of the live action film adaptation. Um, no. So this is going to be a series. I series. Okay. This, a series for the CW. Um, we've got a live. That's right. It's got the CW guy it's, attached. Like, uh, what yeah, is it? Greg, Greg Berlanti. Greg Berlanti. Um, we've got a live action Powerpuff Girls series where the basic premise is that it's uh, the same girls that you know and love, Blossom Bubbles and Buttercup. But they're now in their 20s and they are sort of disillusioned um, youths who are sort of looking back on the childhoods that they lived and realizing that they were not ideal. And that as a premise is like, of course, this is coming to the CW. (laughs) Sure. Have you seen Riverdale? I have seen I have seen a few episodes of Riverdale. Um, I used to have a podcast about it. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's that's commitment. I um I don't share that fondness of the show, but nope, okay, <laughs> neither do I. <laughs> but so you know the the this is not the first time that the Powerpuff Girls have been reinvented. Recently, um, there was a reboot uh, a couple of years ago, 
um, on Cartoon Network. That's right. They introduced a fourth sister, Blistina, uh, their f- the first Utonium sister of color. It was a her story was a mess. Um, and this very much seems like you know the uh, you know, the Powerpuff Girls coming into a new a new space. And I just I don't know. I I, I always want to resist that urge that fans have, where it's like it's not what it used to be because things don't have to be what they used to be to be good, right? right? Um, but just like this premise alone, it's like, well, okay, are you going to, you know, you look back at the Powerpuff Girls and what made them fun was like, it was these little girls like running around town, like truly wrecking Townsville, like causing yeah. all kinds of collateral damage that yeah. should have bankrupted the city. Um, and yeah. I'm sure that the CW will do what the CW does, which is to say it both heightens some elements and brings certain other elements down to earth. And I don't mm-hmm. really know if that works for the powerpuff girls right because if you start to sort of take away the heightened element it's like oh is this just is this just like three moody 20 something year olds with superpowers who are like i'm tired of saving the world and you know our weird father who created us it's it's i i i i I don't know it's i mean to to talk to talk about this in the same conversation about riverdale which is a, a, a quite stark uh contrasting adaptation from the source material mm. um the riverdale show is is very different from like old archie comics right right, um, right, right. i love and, i do love i love it when they try to do like classic archie plots but it's like and everybody's covered in oil and dirty yeah. for some reason it's like oh sure and sure. everybody's on drugs like <laughs> like that's that's sorry, riverdale you mean, you mean jingle jangle yeah they're yeah. on drugs and everyone's having sex that's right. riverdale <laughs> Uh, and so like, if you're going to do that with Powerpuff Girls, which is a, you know, a very silly little cartoon, um, that is very light. Um, and, and, you know, uh, I want to push on that because like if you, there are certain episodes of Powerpuff Girls that were really sort of like subversive and like kind of fly for their time. I'm thinking about, I forget what the episode title is, but like they had their moments, right? Like, but it was still, it was still geared towards a young audience. Yeah, Yeah. 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 It was kids. Like you, you don't have to talk down to kids. But it, this this it was, was still, for children, yeah. It was for children, yeah. Um, and and, and so like, <laughs> I mean, I I I I think I think we know what this show is going to be like when it comes out. I think we know. All right, like imagine like a twenty year old princess Morbucks, and it's like, yo, how are you acting like this? Like, what 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 are, what are you doing? What what? No. God, how are they gonna <laughs> how are they gonna adapt some of these villains? I oh my god, I I to be honest with you, I had not even considered the villains. I just, how, I, how do you do the, uh, not even the gang green gang, but like, I want to know what the amoeba boys look like. What, wait, what's, what's the, 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 the feminine devil, her, him, him. How do you adapt him into like a gritty CW? Adaptation? You literally have to resurrect Prince <laughs> <laughs> from the dead. If, if only they're going to do some deep fakes with him. I'm just saying his estate would never, but yeah, no, so yeah, a lot of people were talking about the casting, and everything like that. Uh, it's 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 we'll say it's interesting. I don't know if it's interesting. I don't know if I'm interested. Uh, it you know it's 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 feeding the machine is what this kind of stuff is. It's continuing to like rehash old things and try to make it cool and for the uh, the current demo they're trying to sell to. Um, who knows? Maybe it'll be amazing. Maybe surprise me. Um, we have like a minute or two that we could jump into a fun little segment. I'm calling Charles's anime corner. Um, Charles, what's going on in the anime world that you're excited about? Wow, why do I have to be in the corner? God, anime. <laughs> anime is for everyone. Um, We're crowded in the in the space, and we just that's all that we all had space in the corner. True. You can have the anime corner. Okay? And the rest of you, shoo shoo shoo. Um, but yeah, so uh, something that's really cool that's coming out um in the near future, a series called Yasuke, 
um, uh, a Netflix anime series that is loosely based on the life of the actual historical figure, Yasuke, who um, was a an African man um, from Mozambique uh, who was enslaved and brought to Japan in the 16th century and was eventually able to, you know, effectively work his way through the system to become a samurai. Um, it's this, you know, he is very much a historical figure who, how to put, is almost mythic-like in the sense that a lot of people's first experience, I remember like the first time that I heard about Yasuke was just like in an internet forum and it was kind of like this, oh, you're just making things up. And I was like, as a, as a teen, you know, it's sort of, as a black teen who was like into anime, you're like, mm -hmm. oh, like shit, that's deep, but it definitely sounds like an urban myth. And you- It sounds like fan fiction. Very much so, but you look into it and it's like, oh shit, this is just a very particular part of black history that has gone largely unexplored and mined for its, you know, entertainment potential, which is not to say that that's, you know, always supposed to be the pivot. That's not always supposed to be the move, but you've got, you know, you've got movies like The Last Samurai and it's like, okay, Tom Cruise. All right. All right. Scoot out of the way. Um, yeah. So it'll, I think it'll be definitely interesting to see what comes of this in the future. Yeah, I, I was looking into this, uh, the fact that it's being created by LaShawn Thomas yeah. um, from Black Dynamite and Boondock. Uh-huh, uh, and of Cannabusters fame. And then also, I didn't know that Lakeith, uh, Lakeith uh, Stanfield was attached to it uh, and is, uh, I, I think, doing the voice of, of Yasuke. I mean, Lakeith's involvement is just like, you see it, you read it, and you're like, oh, mm-hmm, yeah, yep, 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 I believe that, that sounds accurate. You know, I, I can't speak to the, the creative attachment of it, but he's a good marketing attachment that you get like a name that... Um, even non-anime fans would be able to recognize like oh okay i might follow lakeith to this production i'm just like one of lakeith stanfield's like appeals is he very much gives off that energy of every eclectic black folk. like every everyone's eclectic black friend who's like i'm the only black kid who likes anime it's like no you're not you're really not like come on in here <laughs> join us like welcome to the party friend <laughs> um but yeah well that's it for uh cannon fodder let's talk about the joss whedon cut Ooh, let's go. Okay, so I think this is a very interesting episode for us to record because uh, this is basically us talking about how we got to the Snyder Cut. The Snyder Cut, yeah. Before we're able to watch the Snyder Cut, which has actually premiered uh, the day before this is going to release. Um, we're recording this a week prior, so we've not been able to watch it. So everything we're going to say is based off of not having been able to watch the Snyder Cut yet. I will say, though, um, that there was a very brief moment where we apparently <laughs> could have caught a big chunk of it because it just so happened to pop onto HBO Max unexpectedly and yeah. not in a planned fashion. <laughs> if you were watching Tom and Jerry, you got a preview. Oh, my God. Should have gotten uh, to it. But so we, we kind of wanted to talk because I, I think this is actually a very apt conversation for us to have for the show mm. because the road that led to the Snyder Cut is a discussion of the real canon of things. Um, yeah. And, and, and a very big conversation about what fandom can do to shape reality. Right, because initially we were going back and forth whether or not to do like another one-two punch on what is essentially one movie, right? Yeah. Um, we've done it for a series because it's like big and unwieldy and there's multiple episodes, but the thing about the Snyder Cut, which is what we'll it's called, it's technically called Zack Snyder's Justice League. Um, that right. is its official title. It is being treated as if it's a new thing, but this really began as Hmm. It's difficult to say. I don't think it has any one specific origin, but there were multiple things happening at once, right? 
as is always the case, um, I think that Zack Snyder always truly in his heart of hearts desired for there to be another cut of the film, which we're going to yeah. get into, right? That's very much just a thing that directors feel sometimes, right? It's like, oh, the thing that is out there is not the purest vision of my art, right? So you've yeah. got that, but you've also got this idea within not just Zack Snyder's personal fan base, but the fan base around DC as a whole that, you know, like many other people um, focused on Justice League when it came out, I'm sorry, on Batman v Superman when it came out, right? And sort of looked at that film and saw, oh, this is, hmm, not great. Um, the studio is clearly invested in Zack Snyder's vision for these two characters going forward. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was this almost like this spirit of perseverance, I feel, with DC fans where it's like, listen, like we love Batman. We love Superman. Zack Snyder is like the arbiter of their fates at at Warner Brothers right now. And so we are mm -hmm. going to stand by their depictions no matter what. Um, and so you start to get, you know, what we now sort of collectively recognize as like Snyder's, you know, his, his, I don't want to call them their, his army, but you know, the people who, the people who downloaded Vero to like get all his notifications about <laughs> this thing, right? Those people, um, you know, they start yeah. to coalesce around this idea that despite the critical panning and general, the general audience being like, eh, it was fine, but it was kind of busy. Um, there comes this consensus that like there needs to be like Zack Snyder's vision needs to be unleashed upon the world in order for people to really appreciate what he was going for. Yeah. And like that's normal, right? Like director's cuts are Zack Snyder's not the first director to really sort of put his heart into a director's cut. Um, he is famous for his own director's cuts, which are longer and sort of just more, you know, the, the cinematic equivalent of verbose. Um, mm -hmm. but this really took on a different kind of life because like there was a point at which, you know, the Snyder fans started taking out ads calling like, yo, like this is post justice league. And everyone had sort of had really tepid feelings about the film. People taking out ads like, yo, like release the Snyder cut. Right. And yeah. this involved this, this investment in the idea that the Snyder cut did exist and it was being held back from the public because Warner brothers was too timid to, you know, they didn't want the world to know the truth. And it was like, I mean, uh, I, that, that just does not seem, that's no. not normally how studios function. No. If there's a no. chance for them to, and mind you, right, the back, like a bit of the context for all this, Justice League in, in mine and a lot of people's opinion was not a good movie. It made money, right? It made a, a substantial amount of money. It still lost Warner Brothers a substantial amount of money. Yes. It, it it because because like the the movie had like a a a estimated break even number of like seven seven hundred fifty million and it only made like six hundred plus million mm. um and so it still lost the 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 the, the studio like sixty million dollars um so it still was a loss uh and so you know Snyder cut is a chance for gaining back some of those losses but also doing some other stuff that we can talk about a little bit but I think it it is very important that that people have like context because it's been a while mm, it has this honestly happened. i had totally forgotten about the box office i for some reason i remember that like it made what is an astronomical amount of money just as money but yeah not enough to make back what was sunk into the film which is wild right it made more than its budget but a lot of people don't realize that when something on the internet is posted as like a budget for a film that's just it's the not production taking, budget right 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 so usually the safe bet is at minimum double the production budget and that's what the movie actually cost hmm. um and so the movie made you know the, the the movie had a budget of like 300 something million so it actually technically made a profit if you look at just that number yeah um 
but in reality not so much yeah uh, i mean honestly like i will fully cop to being wrong and part of it like i honestly feel like part of it is just like there have been so many movies that have come out since that first batman v superman since the justice league that like and they're like and, and dc has had what are considered like successes that it does sure, feel sure. like it does feel like there's almost like a little bit of like a revisionary halo around what justice league was when it first dropped in the theaters yeah i mean it it's it's let's 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 just like play out a, a simple timeline of of why we even had why even have yes. a Whedon uh cut um I, I, I mean it's it it's it's funny to even think about it. it goes all the way back to like like bvs and like batman v superman and and like snyder involved and even like that was back in the day when like christopher nolan was still part of these productions and mm. this whole like extended universe that was being built but it's also when like nolan like backed away from uh the production to a degree him and christopher nolan and Zack snyder are still actually friends and 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 interact and it was nolan and his and snyder's wife themselves that told zach to never watch the whedon cut mm. to to which they they follow that narrative still that that um zach snyder has never seen the whedon cut of justice league i find it um, difficult to believe but okay i find it hard to believe as well but i'm but I, but that's just my own like you know uh distrust of everybody mm. uh but batman v Superman comes out gets bad reviews much more than man of steel did yeah. and so you know the, the warner very much was like um we need to fix this because this is this is a very important engine and i'm realizing now as you were talking about like uh like uh how they had to change like the tone of the movie this seems to be a reoccurring issue with batman where mm. batman like lends itself to being very dark uh violent and gritty mm. but every time we keep going too far into that the company's like you know the 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 the, product, the studio goes like we need to make this lighter to sell toys and cartoons and video games so that's where you get like Schumacher stuff but the thing is uh, you can see a little bit of that push and pull within Justice League you know in within, oh. within the same film the same man who's you know ostensibly killing people is also like cracking some of the worst jokes God. that these movies have oh ever done and it's like God. what do we do what do we but, but like I I, I want to go through this timeline first so like. We've got suicide. Bring me, bring me, bring me to like. I'm gonna get to this the point between BVS and Suicide Squad because I feel like that was also another big like. Oh, Suicide Squad then uh, comes very uh, that like a, a cut of Suicide Squad comes out very quickly after Batman v Superman okay. for internal internal view, and they uh, realize from a reaction from the cut itself and from Batman v Superman reactions that they have to reshoot and recut. So you remember they went and reshot a bunch of Suicide Squad. Right, 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 right. And then cut it together like some sort of crazy piece of sausage that uh, then was released and still didn't fix Mm. Suicide Squad. Mm. Um, And so at the same time, they then, um, Snyder had a script for Justice League and they had to rewrite it to make it, lighter happier and more fun so that was happening before weeding was even brought on right right um so then uh justice league is filmed the entire thing snyder makes a cut for internal viewing and wb reacts to it like it's somewhat unwatchable okay so the original quote-unquote snyder cut wasn't something that warner brothers liked and thought that was worth putting out there so then whedon is hired um to rewrite and do like a few reshoots um and this is before like Whedon really was handed a ton of reins, but he was just here to like kind of right the ship a little bit. Cause this mm-hmm. is Whedon coming off of like a lot of MCU success. And you can feel a lot of that Whedon energy in a lot, not just in some of the, the way that the characters speak, but in a lot of the, the rather significant story beats, they do yeah. feel like, Oh, is this, a, is, 
It's this. This has uh, the a whiff, it whiffs of Buffy ever so slightly. Yeah, and and you get that because in the end, uh, when uh, later on, uh, the Snyder family loses their daughter mm. uh, Autumn to suicide, and then tries to kind of muscle through it for two months, and then finally leaves because they should leave this production and go deal with deal like, with it. Yeah. Um, that's when Whedon is brought on completely, adds about 80 pages of script, um, goes and does a bunch of reshoots, has to fight a mustache on Henry Cavill's face for a while. <laughs> and then oh, in the final Whedon version, like they only, they, they say they estimate about 10% of Snyder's stuff is used. So when we're talking about like the Whedon cut versus the Snyder cut, we are talking about, um, two very drastic things. And again, I haven't, we can't have seen the Snyder cut right now cause we can't time travel. Right. But. If they're saying they only use 10%, and after rewatching Justice League last night, you know, we didn't reshot this movie. Like, we are seeing Joss Whedon's film almost to entirety, and you can tell. Like, you brought it up. Like, Batman rolling on the floor after being wiped uh, by uh, uh, Superman and going like, oh, yep, something's bleeding. That is cringe on a level I can't stand anymore. It is, and, like, when those reports came out about... um about Snyder never having seen the film and, you know, this framing that it was sort of like, oh, they took his film and changed it so drastically and it was so painful that he couldn't bear to see it. Um, I feel like a lot of the way that that story was framed made the Snyders out to be victims in a way that's like that sort of obfuscated the fact that drastic changes happen to movies all the time. Um, yeah, I think it's much more complicated than rather, just rather, rather, like, painting it that rather way. Rather drastic changes that would boggle people's minds happen to movies all the time and you never Correct. hear about them, right? The fact that this report came out a couple of weeks before the Snyder Cut, you know, was meant to drop definitely like galvanized, you know, the fans to be like, oh, see, 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 this really is something that yeah. this is all, this very much is something that we really needed to see. But to what you said earlier, right, the initial cut that Zack Snyder turned in was also yeah. not good. Right, um, right. And, and Snyder was involved with Suicide Squad trying to get fixed. Correct. And so, like, uh, and, and, and admittedly, Batman v Superman, the theatrical release, is not a good movie. The extended cut, I'll, I'll argue that it, it fixes it to a degree. Um, but again, you can't, like, be like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, my movie's actually good. You just got to watch the extended version that I shot. Like, you shot a three and a half hour movie. Like, did you need three and a half hours to tell a good movie or, or how, how are other people able to do it with a shorter? That's a bigger conversation to be had. I, I don't think that movies have to have be a certain length or not. So I don't want to sound like that. But like your final release, you know, that you had full control over to, a, you know, to whatever degree the studio allowed you to have, like, you know, you got to take responsibility for that. But this, this, uh, yeah, S- Snyder had a bad version of Justice League at some point that was deemed by Warner Brothers as not releasable. We're not here to like relitigate the first film, obviously, but you bringing up, you know, the presence of the Suicide Squad, just like in this film's production, um, having gone back and watched this film last night, what really jumped out, it, not immediately, right? It was actually something that really kind of snuck up on me. Um, I hit the remote accidentally and saw that I was about 42 minutes into the film and we were still at introductions at that point, yeah. right? And I thought to myself, that's literally what Suicide Squad did, right? It is the Suicide Squad introduction scene problem, just done much more, I will admit elegantly, right? There are a lot more beautiful shots and there's a lot more attempt at characterizing these people. But at, yeah. you know, for a two hour film, if you're near, if you're over 40 minutes and, you know, you're still getting people introduced to one another in a film that ultimately doesn't really have a story other than 
we called each other on the phone, got together, and then went <laughs> to go resurrect a man to go beat up an alien. Like that's yeah. literally what the entire story is. And it's like, you've got two hours and this is what you do with your time. Like, my goodness. But again, now that then now we come to this question of like, well, how much did Joss Whedon inject into this film? I was uh, on a hike with a with a buddy, social distance and masked, mm-hmm. obviously. And we I was talking about, to him about having watched this. And uh, you, you, got, you can't help but compare DCEU to MCU. Sure. It's part of the, the, the dichotomy of these two things. And DC was kind of set up for having to have an expedited timeline for a couple of reasons. One, Marvel was winning them to the race of getting to Avengers and even like two Avengers movies. Um, and they, they wanted to catch up and be a part of that race, just like DC and Marvel have always been racing in the comics. It's just part of their, their, their relationship. Mm. Um, but at the same time, uh, they, you know, they, they had the success of a Batman trilogy that had no intentions of being of, anything else, but that, you know, you know, playing nice with any other superheroes and you couldn't, you can't inject, you know, Aquaman into Christopher Nolan's, you know, Dark Knight. You could have tried. You can't. You could have tried. It would have. It would have been quite a tone shift. Just saying, like a, a lot of a lot of eco terrorism going on at SeaWorld these days. If you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that that, that would have been what it would have t- taken is yeah. is drastic uh, alterations to the, of these characters, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which then you know the fandom would have responded in a certain way. Um, but so so they release you know Justice League with all of these like characters not only that didn't have a prior film to introduce them but also like some of which you know the audience really had no introduction in the first place at all um Mm. like you know people didn't know who cyborg was or like what sort of canon he's had that's led to this kind of like story about the whole like mother box and and that that building of him kind of story that's now become canon right um and also we didn't have a a flash film we didn't have an aquaman film before this like aquaman happened after this and so all we had was Batman, Superman, and then Patty Jenkins, uh, uh, Wonder, Woman. Wonder Woman. Yeah. Um, whereas Marvel, other than like Hawkeye, who at the very least did show up in a movie, <laughs> everybody else in the Avengers had like feature moments, mm. um, if not feature films. Like uh, Black Widow is prominently, you know, featured in Iron Man 2. It's not her movie, but she's in it a ton. As opposed to Flash, we had to... Uh, we had to meet him in in justice league you know we yeah. had to you know uh begin introductions and so yeah you're like 45 minutes in this movie and and you've done what marvel took entire feature films to do and you're like let's do that really quick as much as i'm not a dc person i can see some of the appeal that there is to these characters um uh to you know their fans and i also don't think that the marvel formula is the only way that these things can work right the old Absolutely. the old comparison is like oh marvel tells stories about people who are superheroes. I forget how it goes, but it's like, oh, DC tells stories about like gods trying to be people, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. I, there is, how to put, I can, you can see in Zack Snyder's particular kind of like vision um, in, in the way that he uses his camera and the kinds of shots that he really sort of features in his films, the grandeur and epicness that yeah, really- a worship of them. No, not even, that's not even what I'm going for, but sort of something, the tone of his films really does sort of try to evoke the sense that these are living gods walking amongst us and trying okay. to become um, part, like integral parts of humanity, right? I can totally see how these films can work almost as like, very entertaining parables about you know modern god style like people the issue is that 
the story, like, honestly, it's the storytelling just isn't there, right? It is too yeah. much. That's where the, too much of the worship really does sort of come to the fore. It's a lot of like, everybody worships Superman. And it's like, okay, you, right. you're telling me, but you're not exactly, you're not contextualizing that worship within a story that makes it feel like anything other than straight on worship with no meaning behind it. Some, like watching this film, what really, I'd, what I'd forgotten is that it is a celebration of Superman that has a fear of him in a way that like directly contrasts with what sort of person he's meant to be. Everything about that first shot, right, when he's talking to the kids, it's awkward not just because they had edited out the mustache. There why, is, why start off with the shot of the of the of the CG lip? Why make that the very first shot of your so movie? It's so weird. And there it's not a deadness, but there is an almost like um almost like a, a Terminator quality to Cavill's face in that shot. <laughs> right. That's like, oh, Superman's not good with kids. Like, that's the vibe that I got. <laughs> there, there's these there's these two kids who are like, do you want to talk to us about a podcast? And Superman's like, hello, children. Yeah. The best part about being a superhero is and then it cuts away. And it's like, OK, I'm not really sure what they're going for here. By the time that you get to, um, by the time that you get to the the rejuvenation scene with with Buffy, uh, I was going to say with Buffy, what they do with Superman is essentially what they did with Buffy when they bring her back to life and she comes back and she's like, I was in a heaven dimension and I kind of hate you all for it. By the, you know, by the, like that more or less is what happens in this film. You know, they resurrect Clark and at first, the, like, I forget who, which character says it exactly, but. I think it's Diana. She says something to the fact, oh, he doesn't remember who he is. Yeah, That's yeah. not the case. He does know exactly who he is. He remembers who Bruce is. He doesn't know who any of these strangers are. He does have some sort of recall about, you know, the battle that he was having with Bruce, and he tries to pick that up. But in addition to that, he's like, I'm going to beat everybody else up, almost break, you know, Batman's neck, and then I can only be calmed down in a very, you know, Hulk, Black Widow sort of fashion by Amy Adams, Lois Lane, who shows up. And then we fly off to my home and then we have this awkward conversation. You called mother? It was very just like, my God, what is at multiple? It's clunky. At multiple points during this film, I kept thinking to myself like, oh, this is a very like Mike Pence film because the way like the, I say that because like the number of times that the word mother is uttered with like <laughs> the deepest, like the deepest like reverence like, and like. Where are you going with oh, this no, no, Mike no, no. Pence there is, comparison? There is a scene where Steppenwolf is like, you are not worthy to touch mother. Oh my God, I'm you're sorry. right. And it they was talk, just, and they... it was like, what the hell is going on here? There's a lot of like weird energy in this film that has nothing to do with these characters. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. You, you threw me off I know, with the I, mother comparison. I, I literally, I, when I texted you earlier, I wanted to tell you then just to give you warning. Cause I knew it was a bit of a stretch, but it's like, oh no, like, is a lot like this is this is not me just like having a moment The I, I feel like I need to find the script and do control F and find out how many times the word mother appears not in the context of mother box. Hey guys, it's John. Um, I have a quick tip. If you're a little bit like me and there's a good chance you are if you listen to this podcast um, and you like uh, creating new narratives and characters within like a familiar and entertaining space, then I want to give you a, a, you know, a suggestion to go check out another member of podcast family. Good morning from hell. It's a comedy show about a guy in hell whose eternal punishment is to do a podcast with Satan's little brother, Clayton, uh, where they end up interviewing like everyone in the afterlife. Each episode, it features a different comedian or a voice actor playing characters from like history and folklore and fiction. Uh, there have been a, a wide range of guests like uh, Troy Baker was on as Joker. Greg Miller played Santa Claus. They had Tara Strong. Tons of fun people. It's a great show. I recommend you go check it out and follow them 
Uh, just look for Good Morning From Hell on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your podcasts, or you can click the link in the description. Check out Good Morning From Hell and enjoy the rest of our show. Thanks. The the big takeaway I got from rewatching uh, the We Didn't Cut uh, was that this movie clearly had no intention of paying attention to um, the previous two films that led us to it. No, no. And then, <laughs> and then upon researching afterwards, none of the other directors wanted to pay attention to the Whedon Justice League. Um, and you can because... totally understand why there's like, there, there are moments where God, there's, there's a moment where uh, Bruce talks to Diana and he basically, he's like, well, Clark decided to become a symbol for hope and humanity. Why didn't you? Which yeah. understandably is addressing, you know, one of the looming questions, like, where have you been all this time? That Wonder right. Woman 84 kind of sort of tried to get into, but it was presented in this really ugly accusatory way. And it's like, yeah. yo, like, chill out. What, 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 what is this? What? Not not just what is this energy, but it's like, how is this supposed to build to the happy family that we see at the end? These people right. don't know each other, and they've all sort of been dicks to each other. Why would they decide to be friends? Even James Wan's uh, uh, Aquaman retconned almost everything about <laughs> Aquaman. Yeah, um, and he and he stands by that. He says like that the Aquaman movie we got happens after the Snyder cut. Like, mm, he says that. I believe that. Like I just. I, you know, I, I really want to see the, uh, one thing from the Snyder Cut to see if, like, you can fix this. It's something I've noticed in uh, the the Whedon version. But poor Ben Affleck looks uncomfortable the entire film. Um, he does. And, he does. He's just like, I don't I don't feel good in this suit. And yeah, <laughs> I, I know. I, he was also, that was, like, during the times when I think he was going, he was getting to a really bad point with his alcoholism. Mm. And, he, and you can clearly tell that he's having issues with his weight in, like, whenever they did the reshoots. Um, cause he's not fitting into the costume as comfortable as he wants to be. And even just the way he's moving, he's not as like fluid as like Cavill or, or Momoa. You could easily um, look at that as a tribute to Adam West in his more Zoftig days as Batman, <laughs> right? He was like, listen. But the problem is, <laughs> I, and, and I remember thinking this when I saw it the first time, yeah. cause there's like a shot where he jumps out of a, of the, the, one of the, the, the ships that he has and he lands on the ground. And he, I remember, I remember when seeing, I was like, oh, that's not a very fluid landing there that's not a very confident landing all right judging. and we're coming off of batman v superman where he has a sequence where he's still pretty badass and can move and fight like the best fighters out there right still. right right um and so it was, it was even then it was like oh this clearly just doesn't line up very well with what's happened prior um and that's because they, they you know they reshot a bunch of stuff um and i don't think affleck knew he had to keep the weight off for that long <laughs> right and it's just it's uh one of, the, one of the things that we haven't really touched on is how Warner Brothers itself has sort of taken the stance that it doesn't, that it isn't trying to be Marvel. We can clearly tell that that was not always the case, right? They were definitely trying to chase right. that same formula. But in their ultimate understanding that really just trying to, really just trying to go the Snyder route was not working out. And obviously the Snyder route as it was, was complicated by a bunch of extenuating factors, right? That weren't yeah. necessarily just about him. Um, they broke free of that formula for a while. They were like, all right, like, let's do these pseudo one-offs that we're not actually going to, we're going to wink and nod and be like, oh, ho, ho, is it a sequel? Is it in continuity? Tee-hee-hee, who knows? You know, and then they end up yeah. with films like, you know, you've got, you know, you've got Suicide Squad Joker, who is god-awful. Um, I, I, Jared, Jared Little's Joker is terrible. Um, yep. But then at the same time, you've got, you know, the rumors that started off as like, ooh, what if they were to do an Elseworlds Joker project? And it's like, they would never... Lo and behold, here it is. It's Joaquin Phoenix and it's getting nominated for Oscars. And it's like, oh, okay. 
twist, um, a very fortuitous twist for the studio. And you've seen them have subsequent success with other kinds of films that are just sort of doing their own thing. You've got your Shazams, you've got your Aquaman. Shazam did well. Um, I'm not sure. I don't recall. I don't. I'm not sure how Birds of Prey did. I know it got like a lot of love from the fans, and it was one of the films that really got hurt by the pandemic. Wasn't it? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't recall it being a rousing financial success. Um, I don't recall it being a total uh, tanker as far as money, but I think you're right that it, uh, in contrast to some of the other previous films, like the original Suicide Squad, people like there was there was a fan base that really liked. Oh, right, and I think that film. if anything, that is a value in and of itself, right? It's yep, yep. obviously not the kind of thing that a studio would necessarily want to sink billions of dollars into over and over again if it was going to lose money. But it's like, all right, yeah. like this this theory that we have that Harley is a moneymaker is correct, or right, it, there is potential there. So let's keep figuring out how to make yeah. this work. Um, and then most recently, you've seen the studio kind of get around to that same place with Batman and Superman. Um, you know, the world was shocked when we heard that Robert Pattinson was going to be the new Batman, a new Batman. And then it was like, okay, maybe this will be another Elseworlds thing. But then they're like, and Zoe Kravitz is Selena Kyle. And it's like, oh, you're doing a whole thing. And then they're, mm -hmm. you know, um, we've got, God, what is his name? Jeffrey, Jeffrey, Westworld Jeffrey. Westworld Jeffrey. Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey Wright is playing Commissioner Gordon. You know, they're really, you know, Colin Farrell is the penguin. They're bringing all these actors together and to, to really build out what feels like a really robust Batman film. And it's like, well, all right. Like, we've seen that you can work these things into successes, right? In a space that really does feel completely distinct and separate from what Snyder is doing. But then you have the Snyder Cut's existence, right? This thing that was a myth that essentially, right, the film that is coming to HBO Max, what came out in the reports over time as, you know, the rumors about it maybe existing turned into Warner Brothers is considering, you know, yeah. this sort of thing. We have this new thing called HBO Max. What 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 might we put on HBO Max? You know, it all sorts to build in it built into this wild narrative about how there was footage. Um, but the studio was going to sink quite a bit of money, quite a bit of money into what they were calling reshoots. Now, <laughs> obviously, these are not your traditional reshoots um, happening years after the film's actual production. Um, and just the sheer amount of money that was being dumped into these reshoots um, made it seem very much like this was just going to be an entirely different film. Um, there was a hot second when they it, it was being talked about as a series and it would be split into parts. And it's like, yeah. yo, bro. It was a two-hour movie. What are we doing here? Um, yeah. And it's interesting to consider this, you know, this tension between the reality. It is just the Justice League movie reworked. It literally is, right? With a bunch of new stuff, sure. But it mm -hmm. is just that movie. Um, and yet, at what point does a film that has, in the same way that we, at what point does a film that Zack Snyder started to make and then Joss Whedon got involved in, at what point does that stop being a Zack Snyder film now we're asking, at what point does, you know, Zack Snyder's Justice League stop being a remake and just start being Warner Brothers' attempt at trying to do this all over again in hopes of goosing numbers for HBO Max? It's a hard question to answer um, because, yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's always going to be the business. There has to be the business side of all these decisions because as much as this is like, you know, um, entertainment and, and, and fun and, and, you know, superhero action stuff, you know... Uh, this uh, Snyder cut couldn't have happened in my opinion without HBO max. Um, and at the same time, Warner still has value 
in waiting to see if what Snyder puts out or has put out, because now we're, we're talking about the future. Yeah. Um, if, you know, the fan base embraces it and likes it and what their response is, because we're learning more and more and more that these studios that are dealing with these big franchises with recognizable IPs, mm-hmm. that they are susceptible to the fandom um, changing decisions. We've already, I've already joked about it that, you know, they got Sonic to be changed because we didn't <laughs> like his teeth. Like that's, that's what the fandom has the power to do. And, and not that I think that this is a case where the fandom was the only, if and even a major part of the push, they were at least a beginning part and, and, it, and it helped to get like some of the, the cast and crew to be mm-hmm, behind mm-hmm. it. Um, and then, uh, you, and you know, later on, even more and more people were behind it and you had like Ben Affleck and, 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 and people like them even and coming into line saying like, you know, let's see it. And then you, I mean, Ray Fisher's story lends a, a big, uh, amount, I think, push to this of, you know, P, uh, cause Ray Fisher, even when he first started having these conversations about how things were bad on the weed and set, he was also like, when asked, like, would you, would you be down for a Snyder cut? Ray said like. I'd love to see a Snyder cut. So like the wild, wild thing about that, when you watch, you know, this first cut of the Justice League, you can see there's this wild way that I need to stop saying wild. Cyborg is an, wild. is an integral part of this story, right? He, I'll say this about, I'll say this about Cyborg really quick. Go ahead. Ray Fisher's performance was wasted in the Whedon. I don't recall. No, because I know exactly what you're talking about. I was like paying attention to these scenes. I was like half paying attention. And then it's that scene where he has that first conversation with his father and my yes. ears like perked up because i was like oh do i hear is that acting i hear is that like yes 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 (laughs) is that like drama like let me tune in and even though this movie deals with a part of victor stone's arc that really is that sort of like frankenstein's monster bit yeah right it is done in such a way that's like hey let's try at the very least to not have this man be like the human piece of the MacGuffin that everyone's trying to fight so that he can stop it in the end which technically speaking is what he becomes in this film, but you can see little bits and pieces of like a larger vision for what Ray Fisher's cyborg could have been in this film. And back to my point about these films, about these characters actually being rather mythic and Snyder having a rather, uh, he, he has a, he has a style that lends itself to that. I can see, I can see an alternate reality where this movie had it treated Cyborg better and really sort of given, I mean, op, op, not even just Cyborg, obviously just given all of them much better sort of like emotional meat to chew yeah. on could have been sort of like that definitive introduction to Cyborg that the general public saw, right? Like Cyborg is one of their more popular characters who we associate with Teen Titans and his presence in Justice League has always been kind of funky, even though it happens, you know, it's the same in the comics. He's a member there as well, but it's always like, well, how and why? This could have mm-hmm. been that thing where it's like, you know, in the in in the emotional distance that comes from the the rift that develops between him and his father, he comes to see the Justice League as a kind of family for himself. You know, it, like there are all kinds of ways that this sort of really could have been reworked. But while you do get that sort of like that glimpse of what could have been, you also get stuff like, and then there's a moment where they're just gonna rip Cyborg in half because why not? And it's like, bro, yeah. what are we doing here? Like, what are we doing? One of the things that Ray Fisher has talked about was his having heard word of conversations about the treatment of Cyborg's body on set, mm-hmm. and that being one of the things that really made him uncomfortable. There is, I think it's Steppenwolf who gets him. Um, yeah, really, just like gets him, bisects him essentially um, in a way yeah. that's not. It's it it, it 
vaguely echoes what uh, Bane does to Batman. And then by the end of the movie, he pulls himself together and he's like, boop, I'm better. But what happens in this movie is like Diana shows up. She's like, Victor, can you uh, can you come to this, this house party with me? And he's like, mm, no, I really don't want to do that. And she's like, we need you. And he's like, bye. And then he shows up and he's like, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll help out. And then the thing that he was worried about is exactly what happens to him. And it's never addressed, <laughs> right? There's this, there's this little nod where Barry's like, I'll be on bug duty. You know, some of that really cheesy dialogue where it's supposed to be like, and see, they're helping. But it's like, yeah, no, no, you left, you left the black guy there to get torn in half. And then, you know, no harm, no foul. Not to bring this back to Monica Rambeau, but it does feel very much like in that same like kind of space for treatment. Like the very casual, like, sure, you were potentially mortally wounded, but you're super. Walk it off. It's like, OK, for, for the big introduction for this character, that's kind of messed up. Yeah, and 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 if and if you're gonna you're gonna point a spotlight on that, you can't help but point it that like no one else on the team gets treated that way in that entire film, if not fight sequence alone. Um, so it's it's definitely uh. So then I I I ended up thinking of this movie really as being a film about everybody's mommy and daddy issues, right? Because there is <laughs> no, but I I mean it really seriously because this in my mind is the most paternalistic Superman. Um, that's ever been dedicated to screen in the sense that everyone looks up to Clark, right? There are multiple yeah. lines that reference the way that like reality has warped itself in a sense around Clark. The world's hope died with Clark. Um, yeah. you know, Clark is, I mean, that's, that's the whole opening, like sad, um, uh, music montage sequence. Right. About. And it's like, there is something that I did appreciate about this film that, um, brief recollection that Diana shares with Batman about like what happened the last time that, um, the apocalyptic showed up. She's like, Oh no, like we squared up like humanity and everybody else and a bunch of gods and a green lantern squared up and we drove them off. And it's like, right. So there is potential in this planet. There is the ability for humanity and, and, humanity and friends to do what they need to do but in the void of superman like the world has plunged into a despair from which it can never return and then when superman comes back the first thing he does is he beats everybody up you know he beats everybody up <laughs> yeah. in this very domineering and almost sort of like sadistic way where it's like worship me peon and it's like bro what is this now mind you i do think that that is a very essential part of part of the superman fandom this sort of like blind adulation of like a Superman like type, but in an ensemble film, it's like, ugh, God, stop hogging the mic and stop punching people. Like, eh, no, no, I could, I could do without it. Agreed. Uh, just in general, even about the whole Superman thing, it, it, uh, he, the guy, the guy wasn't even dead for like a half a film. Right. And he just came, came right back, came. Oh, oh, oh. Also, when he and Lois fly to Smallville, right, like he just like unconsciously flies to Smallville and yeah. she like leans in and she's like, you smell good. And he's like, why wouldn't I smell good? Mind you, he had literally just hopped out the birthing Bing. pod, the yeah. birthing pod. That was, it was just like, oh, my God. Like, why, why is that line here? What, what is this? Like, who put that there? Who put that here? And then who read it and then said that should stay? That will work. No, <laughs> there are a lot of I could not write down all the moments and watching the movie where i just wrote down why like why why why'd you do this okay clearly i have to pull the brakes on this because we could talk about this we didn't uh cut for forever just because that's what you and i can do oh my god it's which old. is why we yeah. have a podcast but again we're doing we're having this conversation to talk about why we got to a Whedon cut and then thus a snyder cut um we're looking forward to i'll say we're looking forward to watching 
the four hours of the Snyder Cut. <laughs> I'm very interested. I So the thing is, like, this is going to be a perfect example of the dog finally catching its tail, right? It very much right. did become, for a while, there was a brief tension between people who did not think that the cut existed and people who insisted right. that it did. And the people who said that it did, were they technically right? Debatable. But now they've gotten essentially what they want. And we're all going to have a chance to sit down and really examine it for what it is. Um, and the reason we wanted to do this is sort of like get ahead of the spectacle. And it's like, let's let's really sort of like hold on to what our reads are. Because honestly, I'm wholly open to the possibility that this film is better. I don't know that it would fix everything, but I can definitely see how this film could be made a stronger, tighter, more compelling version of itself. I agree. Should we go to headcanons? Let's do it. Um, you said something earlier that made me think of like of a conversation I wanted to have, and I've, I've already lost it. I should have written it down. But you're not uh, worthy to touch mother. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it was messed up, man. Um, it was messed up. You you've talked uh, a lot about uh, your views on like you know the Superman story and everything like that. Is there is there a direction you would take the Superman story? Like the 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 what what's what's your head canon of Superman that you can get behind? I mean, I think that Superman, for me, the moment that you do really lean into his larger-than-lifeness, that's when all the oxygen in the room kind of leaves, right? The issue with Justice League is like, well, you all truly had no plan. You had no chance of survival without this man. Well, then the world was doomed. And it doesn't, that story didn't inspire hope so much as like, well, shit, like, y'all, y'all really missed, y'all dodged a bullet. And it's likely that next time you won't be so lucky. Um, Mm -hmm. I prefer a story where... The stakes against, like, if you're going to have a threat, then the stakes against, the stakes need to be just as present for Superman as well. And I also, personally, I don't like a world-ending story for Superman. If his hope is to save the world, right, then you are implicitly, as a reader, going to cheer for him almost to, like, an irrational degree. Because it's like, well, yeah, well, why why wouldn't you cheer for Superman? It's when people come for Superman personally that I think he's interesting i hate it when it's krypton like kryptonians though right like if you're the last one be the last one you got your cousin (laughs) you got your little dog and now you got your children okay no more no more no more people from the past um i'm going to be a parody of myself again like magic messes him up quite a bit right Mm -hmm. the issue with superman and magic is that it always tends to be more whimsical characters it's like tee hee hee i'm going to come at you but like Give me give me a Justice League story. Like, I do like the idea of Superman within a Justice League dark story, right? Where yeah. literally he cannot be the most important piece of this story. At mm. best, what he is there to do is jump real tall, punch real, you know, punch real hard, and maybe run real fast, maybe have all of his powers, but he is on a playing field that makes him have to be every bit the 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 assister that he can be, you know? Um, something that Justice League does kind of sort of get around, right? Like, at, there, there, there's this moment where um, he and Barry are like, uh, oh, there's civilians that have to go be saved. And Superman just, like, leaves. And that's, you know, it's it's supposed to be he prioritizes people over, you know, mm-hmm. say, but, but it's like, it does come off across like, bro, like, you're trying to save the world here. Like, choose, right. you know, choose the, the, prioritize here. Give me something. But the, at the same time, that battle does then follow up with, like, Clark helping other people. I like Superman when he's literally there just as support. So like that for me is what I want. Yeah, I it it is interesting to think about um since you know for the Superman that we've we've had 
you know, with Cavill and everything like that, that they've they've made the story so big mm. because they I think a lot of people think you have to make the Superman story huge in order to justify um, him being there, right? Yeah. But I I you know I I think you can keep it small and keep it in um the world of like you know the old Superman cartoon of Superman is really focused on Metropolis mm-hmm. and 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 really helping metropolis similar to how batman is just hyper fixated on gotham um and that that kind of like you kind of have to limit these characters a little bit and then build up to them similar to how you know marvel did with iron man Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. where you didn't just give iron man all of his power set from the get-go you know you start off with him being limited and everything like that and and that gave you runway um the way DC has, you know, dealt with Superman has, it doesn't give him a lot of a runway. You see, I think um, that you see a lot more of that with Supergirl, the Supergirl series. You know, it really yeah. did build out what kind of hero she was going to be. And now, you know, she's doing multiversal crossovers. But for a while, it was just like, I really need to get back to my job right now. So can we wrap this up, villain of the week? That's 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 why I wanted Tom Welling to be Superman. Because I think Smallville did that for Superman where he gave him that runway. And I liked the Tom Welling Superman, do that. What's Tom Welling up to? <laughs> being Tom Welling, being fine, minding his business. He was in uh, the Arrowverse for a little bit. I he know was. That. He uh, he came back uh, for a cameo as Clark Kent along with Erica Durrance, who was Lois Lane. And he said, I don't have my powers anymore. Can you get off my farm? And they said, bye. <laughs> <laughs> He's also in Lucifer, oddly enough. Sure, um, sure. We can t- we can have a Tom Welling episode later. <laughs> let's go. Let's uh let's wrap this up and send it off. All right. So that brings this episode of the Real Canon to a close. If you liked what you heard, and we know you did, drop us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast because it definitely helps us out. And if this was your first episode, why not toss us a follow so you don't miss next week's episode? Yep. We've also got uh, some new listeners lately. Uh, it seems like uh, we're we're touching on topics that people like. Um, and so if you want to follow us on social, you can let us know, uh, ideas for what you want to cover next. If we do end up picking something you ask for, we'll definitely give you a shout out. A great example, uh, was, uh, Banshee the Wolf, uh, added us and said they thought it'd be interesting if we would do a vampires versus werewolves phenomenon episode. Yes. It's, well, if we end up doing that, it's, Ban- it's Banshee's fault. Okay. Um, so, you know, episode could be your fault too. Um, but you got to follow us at real Cannon pod, um, on all the socials to find out. Yes. <laughs> so get ready, get hyped. And we'll be back next week with more of the real Cannon.